Thank you, guys. I uh, mentioned in the first service that I was grateful that Matt was back and then made note that, you know, the angelic Jenna was gone and then I gave Nathan the opportunity to give us one word that he might use to describe Jenna. Flatulent. That was that word. <laughs> and it's pretty, it's pretty fitting, actually. If you don't know Jenna well, then you don't know that. And you might think she's just pretty and plays the piano nice and all that stuff. Yeah. And then she married my friend that I grew up with who was the one that was grossed out all the time when we were, you know, when that was, when that was going on. Yeah. So it's, it's great to hang out with them when that's happening. That dynamic is pretty fantastic. So it's, uh, it's good to have you this morning. Good to see you. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's good to have our Uganda folks back. Thank you guys for what you guys have been doing in the last couple of weeks. It's pretty awesome. I made mention earlier, Bruce brought Nancy back. So they must have had a good trip and he must still love her and all those things. So that or maybe you don't want to cook for the boys. I'm not sure which. So. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, we, uh, you know, we've been going through the old Testament, uh, kind of this, uh, um, oh, here, let me stop for that. Let me ask one thing before I get into this. Uh, if you don't mind, just be praying, praying for, uh, our pastors, praying for, uh, all of our staff, praying for our deacons, praying for our church in general, praying for 24. Uh, we've got, we had, we had one of those staff meetings Wednesday that was kind of like you walk away going, Wow. Like, we talk about, like, things being on the cusp of something. We talk about, like, some things possibly happening. And when we walked away Wednesday, we were all like, this is about to get real in a way that we've not seen before. And, um, and all good. Uh, but uh, I just ask if you would just pray. I know that's vague and all that kind of stuff. But pray and pray, pray how God might use you to be a part of the church, not just attending, but just being a part of it, and and uh, how you know how God's calling us to be the church and that kind of thing. So, um, pretty pretty awesome stuff. So anyway, um, but uh, anyway, uh, so yes. So for a year and a half now, we have been studying through the Old Testament with the hope and the goal of trying to help people. Uh, not be afraid to pick up a Bible, not be afraid of Old Testament scriptures, you know, just being willing to, you know, pick up and be able to see, uh, to see God's story and to understand that all of scripture from, uh, from the beginning to the end is complete, a, the story of God. And, uh, and for so many people, you know, I think, and, and, and you know people like this if you haven't been this way yourself, but for so many people, there's so many people that over the years have, have gotten where they're like, you know, I'm just New Testament, you know, type person. I don't do, you know, Old Testament or whatever. And the truth is, is that, uh, you know, there's, that the whole thing is the story of God and it, and it is one complete thing. And, and, and we don't want to throw out the old, you know, that's, it's, it's important to us and it's important to understand uh, where we've come from, where God's people have come from, all of those things. And so... Uh, this morning we're continuing in that. In fact, we're not just continuing that. Today we're ending it. So today we're in the book of Malachi, and today will be the last day that we will ever look at the Old Testament again. Now I'm just kidding, but uh, 
Yeah, that's funny. So uh, if, you don't, if you need a Bible, uh, go ahead, throw your hand up, let our ushers bring you one. Uh, we'd love for you to join us in Malachi, the very last chapter of the Old Testament. So you can go to Matthew and go backwards one page if, uh, if that's what you need to do. But uh, uh, Malachi chapter 4, uh, we'd love for you to join us in that and uh, follow along with us if you've got your, got your Bible or whatever. Um, so to kind of give you a, a little bit of background for Malachi, Malachi is one of those uh, interesting passages that we see much like a lot of the other pieces that we see through the Old Testament. Uh, and, and, and part of the goal here has been through this series that no matter where we are in it, that we're able to study it through the lens of the gospel. You know, we're, we're blessed with being able to be on the backside of, of the cross, of the resurrection, of getting to know what God has done through sending Jesus to die for us on a cross and to take the death that we deserve for our sin, that we might have forgiveness and all those things. And so for us to be able to study the Old Testament now is for us to be able to study with that understanding that that all along was part of God's plan. And I think even for today, for us to remember that, that God knows what's coming. That's, that's a statement for us today. God knows what's coming. And if you think about that statement for just a minute, and you think about it, that statement changes our perception on the whole world. God knows what's coming. That statement changes our perception on the way we work, the way we do life, uh, you know, whatever, our relationships, everything. He knows what's coming. When, when crazy hits the fan and we can have the understanding that he knows what's coming, that changes so much for us. And we see through Malachi, we see God seeing and knowing what was coming. And so, you know, part of that is we see God's people, the, the people of God, uh, continuing to do what the people of God have done so far through the Old Testament, which is be a bunch of you-know-what. You know what? Sinners. Sinners. So far, we've seen all through the Old Testament, God's people be a bunch of sinners. Be a bunch of people who continuously turn their backs on him, continuously not, not do what, you know, that he's called them to do at times and that kind of thing. And so God is having to kind of do some reprimanding. And if you read through the book of Malachi, which is only four chapters, and we're reading one of those today, which is only six verses, I challenge you to read through the other chapters maybe later today or sometime this week. It won't take very long. Um, and you'll see, and if, you, and if you're not careful, you'll read through it and you'll think, man, God's being mean to his people. You know, he's like, kind of like having to get on to him. But, but the truth is, is that really the book of Malachi, like, like pretty much all of scripture is really just this big story of his grace. Like they're going off the tracks and he's trying to help them come back on and he's showing them these things where they're missing it. And you see this, you see early on where priests are mishandling money. Uh, chapter three, you see a whole section, uh, about, uh, uh, um, well, where is it? Robbing God talks about robbing God. Well, how in the world do we rob God? Well, in chapter three, it talks about, talks about the tithe, 
talks about like, you know, it talks about like the people that were supposed to be, you know, that God's people were supposed to be bringing a tithe, bringing an offering, that kind of thing. We don't talk about a tithe a whole lot these days because we don't see the tithe mentioned in the New Testament at all. But what we see in the, and let me back up because I know some people are not from around church. They don't know what a tithe is. Tithe is 10%. So in other words, God's people were called at that point in time to bring 10% of what they had, what they had earned, that kind of thing. And this might be, this would probably be more like, you know, 10% of like, you know, the grain that they harvested that week or whatever. And, and then they would bring this to be put in a storehouse. It talks about that in that passage. And then that would be used to help people, It'd be used to help others in need and that kind of thing. So the idea behind this wasn't because God needed some grain or God needed some money. The idea behind this was that we don't trust God with those things. We make those things gods in our lives, and we put those things before him. And so when God is putting that stuff in front of them, he's, he's, he's calling them out, and he's saying, hey, you, you, some of you have been doing it. Some of you have been doing it begrudgingly, and, and first of all, that's no way to do that. Don't, in fact, let me say, don't ever, don't ever give an offering if you're like doing it like begrudgingly. Like, Lord knows, like, uh, make sure your heart's in the right place with that. Pray over it. Pray that God would use it for his glory and for his kingdom. But secondly, he's calling out some of the people that just aren't even doing it all and that kind of thing. He's like, look, you know, you, you, you say you trust me, but you don't really trust me. You say you want me to, to take care of you, but you, you don't really trust me to do that. You don't give me the opportunity to do that. And it gets, gets really interesting. But anyway, if you see through that, what you see is this, through this entire thing, this theme that we have seen all through the Old Testament, which is this theme of God's grace where he is continuing to love these people, despite the fact that they are turning their backs on him. This is our story. This is us. We turn our backs on God. We, you know, our sin, it doesn't matter what sin it is. Any sin that we have in our life is us going, God, I've got it better. I got to figure it out better than you. I mean, that's, that, that's the bottom line for us and sin in general. And God is basically continuing to show that he loves and he cares all the way till the end of what we have as the end of the Old Testament uh, in Malachi chapter 4, which we're going to read uh, together today. God knows what's coming. Now, a couple, now probably wasn't two weeks ago, it was a little less than that. Me and my family are getting in our van uh, because you've got to have a van when you've got as many people in your family as we do. And we get in the van, and I look down, and there's this bottle sitting there. And it's like a 20-ounce, looks like a Mountain Dew bottle or something like that. No wrapper on it or whatever, but it's full of stuff. Water and stuff. And like I know looking at this thing, I mean, like immediately, I know one of my children who loves to get things out of creeks and whatnot had gotten to go to a creek uh, that day, the day before, something like that and had captured all of these, what we were calling snails. I have since been corrected. They are periwinkles. Do you know what a periwinkle is? Of course you don't. So they, they're like, you know, they're these little like, you know, spiral, the, when you go to the creek and there's these little spiral shells with little animals that live inside of them, little, little bitty things, but they're real pointy, you know, come to like a, look at a little cone looking thing or whatever. And so, one of my daughters had filled three quarters of this bottle full of these things. Now, I'm not kidding you. I poured them out yesterday, so I'm telling you, I know how many were in there. And so it was a bunch. And so then the rest was water because 
Her idea was that we'd bring these things, she would bring these things home, we would put them in our aquarium, they could live with our fish, and everybody would be happy ever after. Well, I saw those things, she told me the plan, and I had to bust her bubble and say, you know, I really don't know if it's a good idea to put those in our fish tank. I don't know if uh, they might have disease or something that might kill our fish, which I'd rather not do. Uh, it's a good idea, but at the end of the day, even at the very least, they're probably just going to get eaten by our fish because that's what they do with anything that has lived in our tank up to now with a shell. And so um, anyway, so I had to bust the bubble. I was like, but look, we can't leave it in here. We need to get this thing out of here. We need to do something before something happens with it because this isn't good and all these things are going to die because they're in a 20-ounce bottle with the cap screwed on. So... Um, Time passes, and you know, I just said, look, we need to do something with it. For us, I think that we've got to be able to trust that God sees what's coming. We've got to be able to trust that he sees what's coming. And if we really believe that today, if we really believe that, that changes the trajectory of how we live life. I mean, how we handle situations, everything that comes at us, if we really believe that he sees what's coming and he's got a plan, then that changes how we live. I want you to go with me. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 gives us a continuation of what's been going on through Malachi and really all through the Old Testament which is God painting a picture and saying, there are things to come. Not only does God know that there are things to come, at times through Scripture, He tells us what they are. Okay, And so even then, at that point, even though they didn't know who Jesus was and didn't maybe have a full understanding of some of those things, they knew bits and pieces. They knew that the Lord would come. They knew that there would be a Messiah. They knew these types of things. Malachi 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, sounds like today, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I act, says the Lord of hosts. So we've got this picture that's being painted. The beginning of this picture is kind of a gruesome picture. It's talking about hell. It's talking about what's going to happen to people uh, that are not righteous, the people that have not trusted in the Lord, the people who have not believed. Then it goes on, and it begins to share some of the things about those that have trust in the Lord, that the righteous will tread on some of these things and be leaping like calves and all that. And I, you know, I hope that like, we're able to have like, the sense of humor and stuff that we can have here when that day comes, because when we do, and I see you know, like, you know, John Taylor or you know, Perry or somebody like, you know, when, when you guys are leaping like calves, I'm going to be like, hey, y'all leaping like calves, check it out, you know? Like, it's just going to be funny, right? Because, you know, it's funny. 
So, but yeah, and so, you know, we see, you know, God's painting this picture. He's giving these pieces to Malachi for us to have and for the people of God to have. Again, you're talking about a group of people who are continuously turning their backs on God, but they love him and they want to follow him, but they struggle in doing so just like us because they're a bunch of sinners just like us. And then, and then he, so he gives them this little reminder. It's a little reminder here of like, you know, hey, don't forget, you know, I've got a plan. I know what's coming. All right, And then in verse 4, he goes on and says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horab for all Israel. I think it's important for us to kind of take note that God is sharing this piece of information with his people. You know, And this is, of course, right before Christ is to come. But it's this reminder that we're not supposed to just throw out all of the things that have been commanded. The things he says, of course, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes. Remember these things. Remember that these things can guide us in life. Now, we know that. And we also know, of course, again, we get to look at this through the lens of the gospel. We also know that the law can't save us. And we also know that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So, This matches still perfectly with the gospel and still this understanding that, yes, we are free from sin in Christ and not because we can keep the commandments that Moses had on his tablets, okay, but that that we're still called to remember those things and for those things to guide us in life. And he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for, for all Israel. Now, I think this is also important because I think it's good for us to recognize that the people of God knew who Moses was. Moses got talked about. He was taught you know, to the people of God as being this, this great believer and all that But remember, Moses was a sinner too, you know. Moses, remember the striking the rock and all that kind of stuff? I mean, you know, and, and unfortunately, we'll always kind of do that. We're kind of like, Moses is a great guy, but yeah, you remember that one time that he messed up, you know. I, I'm glad that everything I've done in my life isn't in Scripture because it, it'd be, people would be like, well, he's a terrible person to begin with and how God let him be a pastor, I have no idea. Uh, you know, because it wouldn't be like one striking of the rock. There would be like a thousand uh, strikings of rocks. But, you know, for us just to kind of pay attention to knowing that this was communicating to the people of God at this moment. In fact, it goes on further to talk about somebody else. In verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So... He's giving Malachi these little pieces of information, you know, remember, this, remember the things that Moses had, remember the statutes, remember those things, don't leave those things behind, remember those, keep those close to your heart, but also, behold, I'm going to send Elijah. Well, this is, you know, you know, including Moses covered all of the people of Israel. That covered like, you know, all of that going on, but then to include Elijah, this, this kind of covers like all the prophets, and again, to the people of God in this moment, they were looking at people like Moses and Elijah as like, these are the great ones of our faith. But this past, this verse, look at this verse. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, wait, what? He's going to send Elijah? Elijah's dead. He's going to send Elijah? What do you mean he's going to send Elijah? It's like, so, okay, again, they don't even have like, they don't even have Jesus to go on at this point. You know, this is pre, pre-Jesus, pre-death, resurrection. 
So I'm just thinking, like, for them, like, are they assuming that, like, God's going to bring back the ghost of Elijah? And this is going to be like an episode of Scooby-Doo or something? You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's, something, there's something to... And so, I mean, for the people of God at this point in time, I'm sure they're like, what in the world? Elijah's coming back? Are you kidding me? And it goes on. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Elijah is supposed to come right before the Lord comes. So now they're being told, you know, Elijah's coming, and he's coming right before the Lord's coming. And then it goes on and says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So then talking about, you know, that people's hearts are going to be changed, like, and that's a pretty strong language, like, you know, turning, turning uh, the hearts of fathers to children and, and to the hearts of children to their fathers. I mean, this is obviously like, basically he's going to be able to mend relationships, no matter how crazy and all that kind of stuff goes. And, and so that's a big deal. So what, what in the world's going on? I mean, and, and that's the end of the Old Testament. Boom. All right, we're out. We're done. You know? I mean, but I mean, if like we leave it like that, it's like, what, what in the world is giving, what's he going on? God, what are you thinking? Like, why is this, why is this, where are we in this? He ends this where he ends this because this is tying straight into what's about to happen. End of the Old Testament, very beginning of the New Testament. We see here the telling of a tale that is about to come down. The telling of a tale that we also see in Malachi 3.1. If you look at Malachi 3.1, it says this. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant of whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So there's a messenger coming. And he's coming before the Lord. This is Elijah. It must be Elijah. He says Elijah in chapter 4, right? Well, then Elijah's coming. So we've got ghosty Elijah coming on the scene right before the Lord. And we don't know what any of that means, but here it comes. Like, let's get ready for it. God's making promises here. He's making promises that he's going to fulfill everything that he has said up to now that he's going to do. God knows what's coming. God knows what's coming. I mean, do we believe that? I mean, do we live like we believe that? Or in like, you know, moments of life, we lose our minds because we really don't believe that. And that's hard. That's hard. I get that. I, I, I struggle with it too. There are moments in life where things hit the fan and we're like, man, <laughs> you know, I got I to gotta do this. I got to do that. We got to fix this. We got to whatever, you know. And it's somewhere in there, we just, we just got to trust God. Because if we trust the Lord, I mean, like, we really trust the Lord, we will see all of those things completely differently. Everything in which happens in our life will be looked at through a complete different set of lenses. Folks, here's the beauty of it. We're not on the side of it where they are. We're on this side of it where we've gotten to understand and hear about Christ and what God has done through sending him to die on a cross 
and to be raised from the dead three days later to fulfill all of this stuff. So for us, and, and, and it sounds silly for us to like really have to think about it, but I think we really need to think about it from time to time and be reminded of the truth of the gospel of what God has done that we can see clearly he does know what's coming. Not only does he know what's coming, he's orchestrated what's coming. It's his plan. He's got it figured out, every bit of it, right down to the craziest stuff that we see in our lives. He's not surprised. He's not surprised with what you did this week. He knew you was going to do every bit of that this week. He knew you were going to do stuff this week that you didn't know you were going to do this week. He knows what's coming. So, is Elijah coming or what? Well, let's just think about this for a second. There's a messenger to come, and because we're on the backside of this, and we get to look at this through the lens of the gospel, we know who the messenger was who came before Jesus. Who is it? John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the Elijah figure. And you're going, well, then why did he call him Elijah? Why did he have to do that? Why didn't he just call him John the Baptist? Well, because Malachi didn't know John the Baptist. We don't know how, we don't know how God spoke to Malachi to pin this, but God gave Malachi enough for them to attach someone that meant a lot to them and to the Christian faith at that point in time that the people of God could go, okay, well, when that guy comes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be behind him. When the messenger comes, I'm going to be ready for him. An Elijah-type figure. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, this is 3.1, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It's John the Baptist. John would come and prepare the way for the Lord. God would use John, and we see that all through the New Testament. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you didn't know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, and while we call them the gospels, they are four different interpretations of Christ's life and ministry. So imagine four of your friends writing a letter, writing a memoir of your life for others to be able to read. And if they're all true, then they're going to be all true, but in each one there's going to be different things because different times you will have been with different ones of them that will know different things about you that the other ones didn't know or didn't see. John the Baptist would come and be the forerunner for Christ. This is a telling of part of God's plan of what he's going to do. I want to look Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, we have this passage called the Transfiguration. And this is one of those passages I think a lot of us, we just kind of, we're good at scooting over it maybe sometimes because, you know, maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we kind of throw things to the side sometimes and go, well, I'm not surprised it's Jesus, you know, but I think, I think we should pay attention to it. I think, it's, I think it's good for us to read it. I think it's good for us to see it and see the power of God at work, even in his son, Jesus. And it says this in verse 2, it says, And after six, six days, sorry, six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, so three of his disciples he takes with him and led them up 
on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Do what? Verse 3 will explain it. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In other words, basically, Jesus started to glow. Okay? You remember the, the, the glow worm thing we had when we were kids? You remember that thing? Those of you that made it through the 80s, you had the glow. What was that thing called? Glow worm. Glow worm. Well, I was real creative. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you, you know, so that had a light in it. Well, we're talking about something much better than that. We're talking about like special effects of Hollywood, like amazing, like, you know, light radiating from Jesus in this moment, like enough that like people are about to lose their minds. And here's the proof of it. Okay. And it says this, verse 4, it says, and, they, and there appeared to them, so not only, not only did Jesus start glowing white like crazy, but here it's about to get real crazy. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. So now we're having a party. We've got dead people coming back to life. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Okay? Don't, don't miss the Greek word there. Terrified. Okay? They're not excited, they're terrified. And so Peter, not knowing what else to do or say, says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, you want some tents? Like, we... We could throw you guys up some tents, and then we might go way over there or something. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. But basically, he's, like, he's trying to basically make them places to stay. I think this also provides, well, let's keep going. It says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they're no long, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Until, and I'm sure that this rattled their heads, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So then I'm sure they're like, do what? Okay, so let's, let's back up. So we saw our dead friends come back to life. You're glowing like, you know, some kind of, you know, spotlight. And... You didn't want our tents, and now they're gone, and now you don't want us to tell anybody until you come back from the dead? So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Rising from the dead might mean, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So, Jesus is helping them to try to understand and get some bearings on what's going on and what's going to continue to happen because, again, we seek more and more proof that God knows what's coming. 
It's not happenstance, not just like, you know, accidentally Jesus is going to die and then the, the backup plan might be that we raise him from the dead a few days later or something. No, Jesus knew this was going to happen. All along, this was the plan. All along, God knew that we would be sinners and that we would need a Savior. All along, he knew he was going to have to intervene in the world and do something for us. And he did through Jesus. I think it's interesting because I think the disciples look at Jesus like he's an equal to Moses and Elijah. You know, he's, you know, it's kind of like this whole, like, I think, I think that this is, this is like further, like, they're not completely grasping the concept that he's the son of God, that he's going to die and that he's going to rise again. Obviously they're perplexed. But on top of that, we see that when they come, you know, let's just throw some tents up, tents up for these guys. It's, I think, even furthermore showing us that, is, that for them at that moment in time, they thought of Jesus as being this great person, but I think they probably saw him in the same light that they saw somebody like Moses or Elijah. I don't think they really saw him quite yet as the Son of God. And we see this all the way up to the resurrection. I mean, if you have any question of that, we see this all the way up to the time that he's killed on a cross, and even after he, he's risen from the dead, what are they doing? They're like, well, show us your scars. You know, like they're still, they're still like, he's standing there. I mean, they've been through all this stuff with him, and then they're still like, I don't know if I'm really buying it, <laughs> you know? And, and it's easy for us on this side of it to go, man, those guys were dummies, you know? But the truth is, is that's how we treat him when we say, my way is better than yours. I'll choose this over choosing your way, God, because my way is better than yours. And like how many times in our life do we need to be reminded, God knows what's coming. It's his plan. It's his creation. It's all in his hands. We believe that or we don't believe that. I mean, it's, it's one or the other. I mean, it's really hard to like, you know, kind of like hang out in the middle of that. I mean, I know that we struggle with sin a lot of times. We don't realize that we're, we're deciding that when we choose sin over something that God might want us to do. But it just shows us our hearts and it shows us how desperately we need to constantly come back to the gospel. That's why we so desperately need the gospel. It's why we so desperately need to understand scripture and why we would do the, the series that we've done for a year and a half and trying to help people to just be able to grasp what it looks like to take all of the story and read it through the lens of what Christ has done. Praise God for his grace. Malachi is nothing but God's grace continued for his people. And then he's ending Malachi with basically saying, yeah, I love you guys. Stay, stay, you know, stay going this direction. And by the way, I'm sending a guy who's going to be the messenger, the Elijah guy. And then I'm also going to be coming to you, the Lord. And he says, it's called the great and awesome day the Lord comes. Jesus came to fulfill what God was in the process of doing. Jesus came to not talk about grace. He came to bring it in a way it had never been brought to this world. 
that for those of us who are sinners, which is all of us, by the way, if you weren't clear, that for those of us who are sinners, that if we would trust and believe in Christ, that he paid the sacrifice that we should get, the death on a cross, that, that should be us. The grace is Jesus saying, I love you. I love you. And God's saying, hey, trust in my son, believe in him. And he is enough to forgive you of your sin. You can go to church your whole life and not believe. Just because you're standing in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Just because you're sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. I'm just here to tell you. Folks, we need to know where we are with the Lord. And if you're not sure of that, let today be the day that you are sure of that. I'd love to talk with you. Others would love to talk with you after service or whatever, during response time, anything. So, yesterday morning, Gracie is getting ready. She's our oldest. She's getting ready for her ballet recital dress rehearsal, okay? And she's got this dress with the tool, you know, on it and stuff. I know what that term is. Be proud of me. And, uh, and so she's got this dress on. She probably had never worn except for maybe to try it on once and then like 10 minutes before she just put it on because they're leaving to get to rehearsal. And her, you know, they run a tight ship in the ballet world. Let me just tell you, you've got to be here and you've got to do this and you can't do that and you can do this and all this kind of stuff. And your hair's got to be in a bun and whatever else. So they're all getting ready. My alarm goes off. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to go help paint classrooms at Pleasant View Elementary with other people from here, from church. And so I'm going to go do that. And the girls are going to go with cash, of course. The girls are going to go do their thing with the dance deal. And so Aaron and the girls are all getting ready too, and I'm in the shower, and all of a sudden Aaron runs in to the, to the bathroom, and she flings open the door, and she's like, hey, and I'm like, hey, you know, and she's like, it's like, you got to help me. We got we to gotta come up with what we got to do. Like, we got to do something. You got to help me, like, come up with a decision. We need a decision. We need it now. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And so she, she begins to tell me. Gracie had, you know, taken her stuff, and she was, they were all getting ready to leave, and, you know, you got all these kids, you know, you got to get shoes on all of them, make sure they all have clothes, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, and, and so they're trying to get out of the house. Gracie's been taking stuff down in the van or whatever, and while she was doing that, she was putting some stuff in the van, and for some reason, she needed to remove the Periwinkle Mountain Dew bottle, the 20-ounce Periwinkle Mountain Dew bottle with all of its dead periwinkles in it. And while she's moving this thing, while wearing this ballet dress thing that, you know, she's about to have her dress rehearsal for so she can have her recital today, she finds that this thing explodes on her with all of its dead periwinkle juice. And so before I can even get dried off, my wife is back out to the front porch where she's making Gracie stand. And I, I only hear my wife trying to get near her when she's going, Hurgh! 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 
If you've never heard my wife throw up, it's entertaining. <laughs> she sounds like a monster. I mean, it's, it's one of the most ridiculous things you're ever going to hear in your life. I'm just going to tell you. So, yeah, well, sorry for that. So, um, you know, then comes like we got to figure out what to do and, you know, all this stuff. But the whole time that I'm thinking about this, I'm just, I'm just thinking, I told them the other day, we got to do something with these, we were calling them snails. We got to do something with these snails because this is going to create a problem. Of course, I can't say that, and I still probably can't say that, really. I said it in the first service. I won't say what you said that I said in the first service. I won't say it in this because my wife's sitting in here. So, but really, I said it to our kids more than anybody. So, I'm reminded. I'm reminded. As much as I would like to know about what's going to happen in the world, and as much as I'd like to predict dead periwinkle juice being splattered all over people and all kinds of other things, the truth is this. I don't know what's going to happen. God knows what's coming. And folks, we can rest in that. And I mean truly rest in that. I want you to hear me use that word because we're not good at it. We can rest in that. We don't have to lose our minds over any situation at hand. We can rest in knowing that God knows what's coming. We can rest in knowing that he's got a plan. We can rest in knowing that he's going to use it for his purposes. And truthfully, some of us need to hear that today. We need to be reminded of that today. And for us as believers, we need to live like we believe that today. And when we do, let me tell you something that happens, supernatural. Like light shining like a spotlight out of us in ways that we don't realize. Supernatural. When we trust in the Lord through those crazy moments of our life, if the people around us, and I'm not talking about like the fake trusting in the Lord, okay? I'm talking about like the real thing. The people around us will see how much we believe in him to take care of all things, and he will be glorified. He will be glorified. And in the end, those people around us will see the work of God firsthand right in front of their face. We need, we need to be a part of that. We, I, we're called to that. Let God work through us like that. He knows what's coming. Let's pray together.